Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss why we like them and uh, just what we can learn from them. I think I did that backwards. For those of you who are counting, this is episode 27, and it's coming at you on July 25th, 2018. My name's Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined today by... Stu Gritter! By Stu Gritter. How are you today, Stu? I'm tired, but well, how are you? <laughs> I'm. I should be tired. I woke up at four thirty. Um, my my son. It's not a real. That was a super cool time to wake up and watch Paw Patrol. So yeah, well, I guess that's you know. It's not actually real time. You uh, you should no, actually <laughs> delete it from your clocks because it's Rest imaginary. Assured, it exists. No, <laughs> it's no, a thing. It exists. No, it doesn't. You'll never have to deal with it unless no. you start to suffer like some magic incontinence that wakes you up and you don't just sleep through it. Oh God, I'm so glad um, you didn't say suffer from children having <laughs> <laughs> this unnatural thing that yeah. is having children. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that you dread it, um, but yeah. So yeah, I'm good. I, yeah. I'm not in the the exact same boat because you're physically drained. I'm just. Sleepily drained, I guess. That's yeah, all good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, for anybody out there who's just joining us um, and is worried about our mental state, that's fair. Uh, mm-hmm. We've never been tested. Well, I have, but <laughs> the tests were unusual. Um, inconclusive. <laughs> they weren't inconclusive. They were pretty accurate. Um <laughs> Sorry. For those of you who are new, welcome to the show, and thank you for sticking around for whatever the heck that was. Um, But uh, basic idea of the show is Stu and I, we both love games, and uh, we are of the opinion, and I, I don't think we're alone in this, that there's more to gaming and to this hobby than just having fun and you don't really realize it i mean having fun is what brings us to this and it's also what brings us together to talk about games but um the basic concept of the show is looking at a game that we like each of us will choose one and then um just sort of discussing what we've learned from it and i mean that can be the academic sort of thing so it can be spelling it can be geography it can be even history which is often actually pretty cool um but also so social economic stuff so like um maybe the the weird sort of social history the oral history of your experience with the game uh we've done shows uh that involved our like first encounters with the internet when it was still young and we were still young um, <laughs> I dropped that bombshell of a show on Stu about uh, gaming in hospitals <laughs> a couple of episodes ago. That was mm-hmm. fun. Um, but that was, yeah. Uh, yeah just, like, the stuff that we learn either by gaming or while gaming. Um, and, and that's sort of what's what's the crux of what we're trying to get at. Um, so Stu... Uh, did you have anything you want to talk about off the top before we jump into what we learned this month? Uh, nothing unusual this week, no. Well, that's good. Um, I think you'll be surprised to learn that you have never had anything to say before I, we jump into... I actually wouldn't uh, be surprised to hear that. I'm keenly well, aware of this fact. <laughs> what we learned, uh, this month. So, yeah. Uh, okay, let's just jump into the next section. So this yeah. is, uh, this next section, which is what we learned this month, is the section of the show where we discuss things that we learned about gaming this month. So, Stu, 
you and I love tech. Uh, we love gaming news. So if you, the listener, have an article or some kind of story that you want us to talk about, feel free to send it in at uh, learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. I always almost mess that up. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. Also, I think it's really important to just bring this up while we're still at the, the top of the show. Um, we have sort of a staggered release schedule. Maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't. Uh, it's really important to listen to the the date of when this is recorded, and again, that is July 25th, 2018. That is the date of this recording. Uh, I believe the last episode we released very recently um, was uh, recorded like sometime March? in May. Oh. <laughs> no, it was May. It was May. But uh, yeah, so that's um, that's something that's a couple worth, months. Yeah. yeah, it's it's worth noting. Um, people who send in emails, don't be discouraged. We'll get to your email. If you send us something, we will 100% read it. You just may not hear about it for months. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, sorry. Um, that said, uh, what did you learn about gaming this month, Stu? Well, um... There was an interesting blip on Steam servers where player, pop, like game player population was briefly available. It's not really supposed to be. Um, it was kind of like a, a whoops on Valve's side. Uh, there was a little bit of interesting data that came out of that, but not, not really anything super substantial. Um, I, I'm only bringing that up briefly because it kind of ties in with uh, today or yesterday was the No Man's Sky update. Yeah. And so that was an old I don't know if it was a kickstarted game. I don't think it was kickstarted. It was just an early access game a bunch of people jumped into and a like, huge flop and it was one of the like, widely widely uh, pooped upon <laughs> for failing to meet expectations mm. or even what they said would I would argue it wasn't a hundred percent a flop. Like it sold, it sold a lot. Well, sorry, the reception. Yeah, the reception was. But the problem was everybody was holding the developers who were very green, I might add, um, and not used to being exposed to the media. Um, They had some very high and lofty ideas for what they wanted in the game. Yeah, and most of that stuff wasn't in at launch. And, and so a, a bunch of that there was to be a sh- out now, <laughs> and a shit st- a shitstorm ensued. Yeah. Um, but yeah, keep going. A bunch of that stuff is supposed to be out now with their most recent thing update, whatever. Um, but anybody who bought No Man's Sky on GOG can't at present get those updates. Are you all the serious? multiplayer stuff? Yeah, because th- they use the Valve's the Steam API for all the multiplayer, and they haven't. Oh. They haven't architected any of the other multiplayer stuff yet. So anybody who's not running it through Steam, a bunch of these new features that are actually what they thought the game was going to be on release years ago, uh, they still don't have it. So what that's about, good. Uh, what about Xbox and PS? Uh, uh, I, because they're native multiplayer, uh, can you just hook up to... I mean, it's not as complicated as Steam, right? It's just you see your friends and you can play with them. Is that I, I I'm don't, assuming that's a concept? I don't know the case for consoles. Oh, that's fair. It's, yeah, it's you just your PC master race. Well, it's just the article <laughs> that I happen across actually has a, a, 
a joint response from GOG and Hello Games. So okay, that's fair. That's, that's um, all. Wow, man. That's, uh, that's shitty. Yeah. Is that going to be resolved? They have plans to resolve it, yes. They expect okay. it to be resolved within the year, I believe. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, that's not too bad. Later uh, this year, still, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, still not great, considering so many people will have been exploring the infinite space that is No Man's Sky. Yeah. Um, before you and your friends, if you bought it on GOG, but, uh, so be it. uh, that's a tip in, um, that's a tip in Steam's favor. Actually, you know what? I bet you if I look at Steam right now and No Man's Sky is probably the top seller. I've seen a couple people, people bounce into it. I, people are probably buying that up like crazy. Yeah, I, I, it is. And yeah, it's 50% wow. off today. Oh, uh, okay. That's, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. I could see that. Yep. Because, okay. yeah, everyone who was disappointed is going to be firing it up and telling all their friends who didn't buy it initially, oh, we've got to go play It's multiplayer now. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, also, it looks like Monster Hunter's coming. Nice. Yeah. So uh, you get ready. I'm not going to play that <laughs> on computer. But, yeah. wow, that is, uh, yeah, I, I hope that you and your friends get into that game because, wow, is it ever great. <sighs> I would love to, but time's a factor. Yeah, that too. Um <laughs> Uh, the, I'm familiar. The only other news article I want to bring up was the thing about uh, Fortnite. On July 13, uh, they brought in almost three million, uh, roughly three million dollars. Yeah, that's nuts. On that one day, in um, a day, three million dollars in one day for Fortnite. That's that. I don't know. That's just the thing. Gaming relevant. It's a pretty magical day, it's, you know? The uh, day that you bring in $13 million. Three. It was July 13th. Oh, yeah, $3 July million. Dollars. Oh. Still, I mean, if they were hit 13 Oh, you yeah. know what? I'd be happy with $3 million. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. In a day. Yeah. Neither you nor I make that in a year. Uh, we may never make that in our life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to work pretty hard. <laughs> I'm confident that our families combined could make 3 million yen over the course of our lifetimes. Easily, if we haven't already. Um, but that's, uh, that's a different that's, kind of inflation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow, that is just so interesting and strange. But also, I mean, you it's not as weird for me because I, I'm, I do play a lot of mobile games and I can see how easy it is to spend money on a device. Um, also, my son recently signed me up for Amazon Prime, so I have to remember to turn that off because, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I made a mistake and let him just play with my phone. And, and credit card. And <laughs> you, no, not credit card, but YouTube has a lot of ads, and I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't realize how dangerous it was until... I checked my email and he'd signed me up for Amazon Prime, um, because it's it's all just like my my uh, my Gmail is all just set up, right? Yeah, like it, it just oh it yeah floats yeah in there. yeah. Oh, that's so, hysterical to me. I love that. Yeah, that's horrifying. Um, <laughs> and YouTube is designed to just throw ads at you, and he's used to just tapping the phone. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, <laughs> a little inside baseball. Uh, he doesn't, I don't let him play with the phone anymore. Not because of that, <laughs> but because I noticed uh, a trend with him where uh, he was getting less content just sitting and watching a full video. He wanted to push through to the next video that he wanted to watch. So he would actually start uh, swiping his finger, 
to get the videos to show up to push to the next one that he wanted to play so he wasn't focusing at all oh. on what he was actually watching and I'm just like that's a problematic behavior that I should probably stop right now so hmm. I mean some people will probably shit on me for letting him watch TV at all but um, I'd rather see my son be able to sit through an entire episode of a show than not be able to sit through anything at all and just jump back like from the next to the next to the next and he isn't just doing it to do it like I'm sure that there's a little bit of gratification in that but he's doing it because there's something specific that he wants to see and he gets bored of it so fast onto the next shiny the next thing and that's not something that's good yeah and I don't want to reinforce it so I just took that away for a little while we'll uh I think we're gonna give him a few months before I even let him near that again Mm -hmm. so uh that was weird (laughs) but uh (laughs) Speaking of weird things and psychology, uh, I came across an article in the Geek Therapy Network uh, that was really cool. Uh, I think I shared it with you in the script. I don't know if you looked at it, but it was the Psychology Today article that was all about um, evidence-based findings for uh, the, the violent video, or do video games make kids violent? And basically... I mean, I'm not going to say it's conclusive evidence, but it takes the time to sort of explain to people that there are a lot of people, professionals, I might add, working on trying to confirm or, or you know, disprove that this is the case. Like, using the scientific method, I know not everybody's a fan, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, and it's, I mean, the the suggestion is that there is enough evidence leading to the conclusion that the APA's uh, statement uh, in 2015 uh, that was concluding the violent video games lead to aggressive uh, behavior uh, is not accurate, and that it, it was alarmist and misleading. I'm going to make sure that there's a, a link to this yeah. in, uh, in our show notes. Yeah. But there's, I mean, it's psychology today... Definitely not, like, <laughs> fringe publishing. Um, it's filled with links, so you can go to basically any one of these things. It continues to reference stuff. It doesn't have, like, a, a work cited at the end, like uh, some sites that I like, but it's got enough in it, and it's actually a pretty straightforward article um, that if if this is something that you're interested in, just give it a look um, and then just sort of decide for yourself... <laughs> <laughs> what you what you want but realistically um most psychologists and most people working in the field that are studying this not only are starting to lean towards video games aren't doing this unless there's like something else contributing um and for whatever reason the media just keeps latching on to what it is uh, or to what it isn't um you know what, maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just read like the last paragraph, which is uh, there's a lot of conflicting perspectives. So what's the what's the take home message here? First, there is not solid, irrefutable evidence that violent video games lead to aggressive behavior. That does not mean that every video game is for every child. Certainly, many video games are scary and inappropriate for kids. 
don't play Resident Evil with your (laughs) 10-year-old, you know, especially the new ones. Um, Understanding each kid's needs and creating a plan that sets out rules for media use and monitors kids' activities on screens is a sensible way to approach video games. The end. Yeah. (laughs) No shit. Hmm. Like, uh, I... So yes. so you mean the games that are rated teen like or or even rated M like parents should be aware that their kids are playing these or paying well, I mean, attention realistically our parents should have been aware as well <laughs> they just some of them cared some of them didn't um and maybe maybe not but like I think the suggestion that okay look you're not you should not be letting your four to six year old play the latest doom or the resident evil game right like that's (laughs) that's maybe something that shouldn't happen because that will actually impact them in a way that is developmental and negatively yeah probably (laughs) right yeah um yeah but uh, I mean, I was playing games like Doom when I was, what, 10, 11? Yeah. Right? Like the original Doom. Um, I'm not saying that I'm a well-adjusted individual, oh, but I turned, turned out, out okay. Fine. <laughs> yeah, it turned out pretty good. Um, I, I Yeah, I just... This, this is one of those things where it's sort of good news that probably won't get heard because it's so easy to get lost in the regular news cycle. Yeah. Well, and um, and it's also it it's news that's that's harder to take. It's easier to say games do this rather than uh it turns out people are different and everyone's brains and environments are different and you just you kind of got to watch out for shit. <laughs> yeah, nobody <laughs> like, wants to hear that. End of the day, like it's it's not a black and white video games cause or do not cause they in some cases may be a catalyst and that i don't know that's hard yeah. it's harder to digest i guess yeah um and what so what's interesting is this leads directly into the other thing that i learned which was extra credits posted an incredible video just today and it's about um the spending that goes into uh, video game setting video games and how quite a lot of it is mostly like the the physical uh, impacts of video games which is interesting um, so like hmm. the the way that and uh, in, in in a lot of the ways that we explored um, with the hospital episode uh, gaming and hospitals episode like how video games can distract you from pain um, stuff like that but this extra credits episode starts with the narrator reading through the new World Health Organization diagnosis of game addiction. Um, So reads it out in in plain terms so you understand it, talks about what they think is problematic, then talks about the research that is currently being done on video games, where it is, and then talks about where they feel it should be and what it should be doing. And one of the major highlights and the point of the entire episode is they feel somebody, and I, I, I personally think that people are already doing this, and I expect that they, uh, that Extra Credits knows this, but there's just not as much money there as there is in so many other different venues. Like, um, they feel that somebody should be 
throwing money at doing research for how video games improve mental health mm-hmm. and how they can be a beneficial tool whereas so many people are throwing money at video games to prove that they make you more violent and, and you know all that bullshit yeah yeah and i'm there with them right like that's a stance that i i i strongly encourage because that's kind of the point of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and I, I wonder if some of that is just an older ideology where the money is coming from for research at this point is still uh, a culture that kind of held on to that idea that, like, gaming was a new thing and the kids aren't all right. So clearly... <laughs> well, uh, let's let's be frank. I mean, the, the, the culture of where money comes from uh, is... Uh, generally rich white dudes, right? And they are, they, they, uh, (laughs) there's a rich white dude who uh, wants to point every finger at video games as a blame for gun violence in the States. So like, yeah, it takes somebody who has a a company that's making $3 million a goddamn day to actually turn some of that around into pointing at what's good that video games do instead of, (laughs) Instead of funny hats so, and dancing for said mobile app. So you mean a benevolent millionaire <laughs> yes. or billionaire yeah. who will champion video games for us. Yeah. Who maybe has specialized in creating office applications. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Help who, us, Bill yeah, Gates. Yeah, who knows? No, he's busy no, dealing with I, I like know, physical diseases and saving the world, eradicating um, polo and all that shit. Yeah. No, Pol- polo, same, polio. Same thing with Gabe, right? I mean, <laughs> like they could. There, there are tons of people who have the option to do it. Um, yeah. They're too busy making their money make more money um, by creating charities. Uh, so here we are. Here we are. Welcome. Welcome <laughs> to <laughs> Learn From Gaming Podcast, where you're also learning about our political opinions. Um, so next up, we are going to jump into... Uh, actually, I'm going to let you... Uh, do you have any last words or thoughts before <laughs> we close this down? No, no, Because I'm good. about to close it down. Yeah, close it down. Okay. Uh, so then we're going to jump into the next section, which is probably why you showed up, not to hear our opinions on, on uh, politics, but uh, it is the what we learned from gaming. So now Stu and I are going to jump into uh, discussions on games that we've played and what we liked about them and what we learned from them. So Stu, I always give you the option now, do you want to go first or do you want to go last? I've got no super surprises for you. There will be no hospitals in this episode. <laughs> That's probably for the best. Um, uh, you know what? Why don't I go first this time? Okay. It's, yeah. a, I think, a relatively rare occasion, but there might be some uh, interesting interplay. Maybe you'll be able to speak to some of the things that I bring up too. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so yeah, this this week I'm going to talk about Morrowind, the third. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. was that an ooh or a boo? <laughs> it was an ooh. I I actually never played it. I just watched other people play it. Oh, that's fair. Uh, it's uh, the third Elder Scrolls game. For those of you who don't know, I think I think it was released 2002 thereabouts. 
for PC. Uh, I had a couple expansions for it that were... <laughs> for PC. <laughs> for PC and Xbox. <laughs> yeah, I know it was released on Xbox because that's where I first saw it. There that was uh, actually what uh, led me to get the game myself. Yeah, you would have still been in high school. Um, yes. Yes, whereas it was a first year university and I actually saw it in Charlie's dorm room. Um, attached to a Charlie, uh, attached to a Charlie. Yeah, actually, that was that's a dark that's a dark place. That's a dark what, place being, in the history of our life. Being attached to Charlie. No, no. Okay, it's just okay. I gotta tell. I gotta tell this story quick. Give her. Um, so, uh, it's either Charlie or his French uh, roommate, who is like an international student, uh, David, who they um one of them bought an xbox i can't remember mm-hmm. if it was charlie or if it was david i'm pretty sure it was it might have been david uh but anyways like you know how sometimes there's like this odd couple chemistry that happens um with people if they live together mm-hmm. well that was the case for charlie and david um in that you could see where the room split in half and not just because ge- geographically it was supposed to but because like Charlie's shit <laughs> functioned like like the Zerg's creep in that it would constantly try and like crawl into Charlie or into uh, David's side of the room yeah. and he would fight it back with his meticulous cleanliness. Nice. <laughs> so like it was just so funny to actually go into that room. Like it was it was a functioning dichotomy, like just complete opposite. That's hilarious. Um uh, but yeah, I remember uh, spending a lot of time in that room watching them play Morrowind, and it was a, it was a good time. Like that was that was a, another one of those fun games to watch. Mm-hmm. But sorry, you go ahead, you go ahead. I got, got a little carried away. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I I was I was introduced to it because uh, yeah, I was at uh, my friend, I was at Cobus's house. And his brother was playing Morrowind all the time. And just at some point, he was like, look at all the crazy shit I can do. Ha ha ha. Morrowind. Yay. Uh, and it, I don't know. At some point, um, that was enough to, like, seeing the vertical slice of gameplay was enough to, to get me invested. Uh, so I picked it up. And I guess uh, as, as a bit of a primer, I, I hadn't played either of the first two Elder Scrolls games. I think they're both a little bit different. I think Morrowind was the first one of its kind of ilk, especially in that series. So it's a big-ass open world. You play one character. You have a fair amount of freedom to determine what what race they are, what, uh, I guess, what class they are, what skills they have. And you're just kind of dumped into this world. There's a big main quest for you to go through. You don't have to engage with it, um, but you're you're invited to quite clearly and early. But even as you go through the main quest, at some points you're actually instructed, okay, you know what, this is going to take some time, and this next thing that I'm asking you to do is actually pretty hard, so why don't you like fuck off and go help other people, do something else, go away, come back when you're ready. So it was, it was kind of an interesting thing. It it, it presented itself in a very natural way. Uh, there was a lot of storytelling, a lot of immersion going on. Uh, there was it was one of the last games that had that much text in it that did not have voice acting. 
that's something that makes it harder to go back to now, I think. I don't know if it ages well, but it made the dialogue system, I don't know, pretty pretty verbose. But eh, it was still it was good enough. The uh, especially because the the characters reacted and talked in a way that felt natural and seemed actually reactive and responsive to things that you were doing. Uh, that uh, I'm just I'm gonna stop you right there. Yeah. Um, the that trend, um, and not everybody's gonna be familiar with it, but that uh, there was a trend during the sort of the PlayStation Two Xbox era, where like the dialogue heavy text heavy rpg um also sometimes like you're locked into a cg cutscene that goes on for oh yeah <laughs> um like that was uh that was pretty common and i morrowind was nice in that i think like you could speed through the text boxes if you didn't want to read them but i mean it was also so it sort of sat on like the precipice of too much dialogue you like filled this game with a bunch of stuff that nobody cares about or alternatively look at at this rich incredible world just waiting for you to open it up yeah super saturated and and yeah they they um a lot of games had text box close it pop up a new text box text box text box text box text box uh, more when the dialogue was presented in a like a single huge ass text box that would scroll through so you would pick a dialogue option and if it was three paragraphs of a response from an NPC, it would just throw them all at you in one big chunk. And it had like a wiki kind of feel to it. Uh, key words would be highlighted so you could, you know, pursue those topics of interest. So you could, if you really didn't give a shit about what somebody was saying and you just wanted to parse for important information, you could just read the 10 words that are highlighted in blue and go, uh, yes, thieves, uh, hide out, pay me, great, and then you're off. Um, otherwise, you could actually, you know, go through and experience whatever kind of in-depth story you really wanted. Um, and, and that kind of carried through with uh, characters' responses to you. This is something that I, I probably talked a little bit about from the Fallout games where people respond to you fairly well. Um, I recently watched a couple videos about later, uh, later Fallout and and Elder Scrolls games where it doesn't always feel like it matters what you do, whether you've you know crushed every super mutant in the world, or you've killed every dragon you've come across, or what you've done. A lot of a lot of the times, uh, NPCs in games, especially with voice acting, they treat you the same. You know, even, I don't know, people kind of make fun of being a dragonborn in Skyrim and you can do terrifying shit. Uh, and guards, city guards still talk to you like you're some chump street urchin. And like you could be decked out in full Daedric armor and like you look like you can murder everyone, everyone within three kilometers and they still talk to you like a chump. It's weird. Uh, Morwen had a lot better responses to that. They also actually had some political stuff later game. Early on, it didn't matter so much. You could kind of join and be on everybody's team. But at some point, you had to, if you pursued some of the plot lines, you kind of had to join different political houses. And uh, if you helped Team A, Team B would not like you as much. And you couldn't be everyone's friend. There, 
there were consequences to your decisions. You couldn't just go do every quest in the game. Uh, doing doing certain things would lock you out of other things just by virtue of the character that you were playing and building. Uh, so as an immersive world, it was really, really interesting, fa fairly engaging. It provided a lot more opportunities for engagement and investment in a world than I had ever seen before. Um, it stood on the back of kind of a mediocre combat thing that, I don't know, it, it was never, I, I don't feel like combat was ever the focal point of an Elder Scrolls game. Some people might disagree with that. I don't know. That's possible. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's something that you, you had to do a lot, I think. Maybe you could play classes that could get away with not fighting as much. I, I don't know. It was a thing. It was just like a necessary evil in my mind to get through some of that. Um, but along with creating your own class, skills leveled up as you use them. You had the option to create your own spells, which was wicked fucking cool. I saw some very cool shit yeah. for creating your own spells. I'll talk about that after you're done. Uh, and alongside that, so I'll just put that off for now. Alongside with that was uh, creating your own items. You would go out and find f like the strongest creatures you could and uh, capture their souls in super gems and use these super gems to imbue your items with whatever kind of enchantments you wanted to so not only are you you know do using whatever skills you want you can deck yourself out in your own equipment and cast your own spells like it, there was just a ton of customization workability i wonder if that's if that ability originated in morrowind or if it was earlier because you that ability still kind of shows up in skyrim as well there's a variation of it that shows up in Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim has a lot of the same crafting. Uh, Oblivion, I don't remember because I blocked it out. That's fair. The horse <laughs> armor has blinded you. I get it. Um, yeah, and the the oh, first two, I don't remember. Remember remember when everybody lost their shit because the first DLC was aesthetic horse armor, and now nobody wants to pay for DLC unless it's aesthetic stuff? Yeah, well, it, it was weird. <laughs> it was railed against at that time uh, yeah. because there was so much free stuff. There were there were like ma there was massive. Sorry, there were, we're talking about Oblivion's yeah, original Oblivion, DLC. Yeah, Oblivion paid DLC. Oblivion, yeah, paved the way for garbage DLC. By uh, there were a lot of mods for Oblivion, a lot of free mods that added a ton of content, reworked game mechanics and stuff. And everyone was all excited that Bethesda was finally getting behind promoting paid mods. That maybe, you know, modders could actually find a way to um, get paid for their work. You know, people had dreams of maybe Bethesda's the next Valve and we can create mods and then join their team and create cool shit. And, I hope and they're then, all making stuff for Epic Oh, now. God. After months and months, yeah, it was like horse armors, like two and a half textures for ten bucks. And the community just fucking exploded. It was hilarious. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I think that that's Morrowind as a, as a whole. It was a, so it was just a great wide open world, um, fairly immersive, had really interesting content. 
cities were diverse. There were different biomes to go to. Your actions felt like they actually had consequences. When you beat the main quest, you actually... Um, there's a strain of creatures in the world that just kind of disintegrate because they're no longer powered by this evil dude. So they're not there anymore. And there's, like, there are actually shitty weather storms powered by, like... Yeah, bad guy. Bad guy mojo. And you kill the bad guy, and the bad guy mojo stops, and then oh, his shitty ash clouds don't happen anymore, which is kind of neat. So it felt like the world actually responded to you fairly well. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of freedom. It was it was just really cool. Uh, I've I've I don't know. I I feel like I'll be parroting a lot of other things that I've said before about open worlds, but just the the opportunities that that provided for exploration for getting lost in in just another place um for for actually being presented with some consequences to some of your actions um <laughs> that, it, it didn't happen in a lot of games Th so it was really cool it still doesn't really happen that much <laughs> no no it doesn't not in a significant way no i feel um uh, and it's i i also feel like maybe it's a little hard to actually program um Unless, like, you're doing an immersive game. Yeah. But then, yeah. But it was, yeah, because it was such a big world with so much freedom, uh, the amount of response that NPCs had to what you were doing was actually really, really cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and Morrowind was big. Yeah. Especially for the time. I think it might still be bigger than... Um, Skyrim? I, I don't think Skyrim's I, larger. I, I think the yeah, map... The I, ma know. I remember the map being tediously large. It it also felt large because there was no fast travel. Uh, unless you got really good at making spells. Yeah, so you had a, a, a mark and a recall spell, so you could designate a spot and then teleport back to that one spot. Um, but I think that was... Yeah, I don't oh, know if you could do stew. more. Oh, there was a lot stew. of there was we are gonna talk there was about a lot of like spells in a second. There was a lot of like speeding and jumping and shit that you could do, which oh, was stew. equivalent to fast travel. But starting out, yeah, there were silt striders that you had to to use to get around, which okay, was so which was rough. But I'm I'm gonna tell you what I learned from Morrowind watching it, never playing it, watching it. Mm -hmm. Um, so Charlie and I have a friend, his name's Josh. Uh, I'm sure he won't <laughs> care me actually mentioning his name. Um, Josh did something like a math hammer kind of moment where he sat down and started running calculations. Um, and he actually cooked up a custom made spell with the right kit so he would have to switch his boots and his boots that he switched to were boots that prevented you from taking fall damage mm -hmm. and then he created fast travel in the game not through teleportation but through jumping yeah and what he would do is he would look at the map he would plot things out he would aim himself he would move in a trajectory and he would jump yeah and he would be in the air for a Considerable like like a time. minute or two or whatever, yeah. And then he would come down, and he would be approximately where he was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was perhaps, like, the coolest thing I had ever seen anyone do in an open-world RPG ever in my life 
in 2002. Yeah. The, <laughs> like, I had never seen anything like that before. And to speak to a little bit of the writing, you actually find boots that do that. They cause blindness 95% of the time or something like that and increase your jump to superhuman levels. And you find them uh, on the body of a dude, like you're just walking along the road and some dude craters in front of you while you're walking. And you go up to him, and he's got these magic boots of blindness and insane jumping. And in his journal, he's like, ah, fuck it, I made these boots, I'm going to try them out. <laughs> but, <laughs> so y- you actually get to see them demonstrated with, uh, without handling the fall damage issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, they also cause blindness, which is, in some circles, considered a difficult thing to deal with when you're in combat. But yeah, but, um, yeah they, it existed as a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. fascinating. Um, so, Stu, uh, in terms of how this game taught you how to play it, uh, what were the tutorials like? Did it did it teach you well, or did you just have to suss things out on your own? Uh, there were no tutorials in this. I don't know if there were tutorials in any of it. I don't know if there was help documentation. I think this was... There, there was probably a small manual. And, Did and I think make it intuitive? And or I, what? Well, I think some of the... Like, looking through your character attributes and everything, there would be a little... Uh, effectively, tooltips on everything, saying this is... This governs these skills. This governs those skills. These skills are useful for that. This is what this skill does. Um, and it... Because it was an open-world game, I think that there's something to be said for uh, experimentation in that kind of environment and the game just lends itself to that kind of you just you monkey around for a little while and and figure out some of the uh, some of the systems um, I, I don't think that there was any extensive tutorial or help system I think a lot of it was just trial by fire. They, just, you just kind of look at your controls. You <laughs> move, attack, jump, whatever, nice. and yeah, yeah. kind of go from there. Cool. Um, so yeah, the, it encouraged experimentation in that sense. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, like, with creating gear, or creating spells, you're doing. I mean, you're gonna do some min maxing. Uh, at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out how to light someone on fire at a safe distance without spending <laughs> mana. So how do you do uh, yeah. that? <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, so there, there were, there were aspects of figuring out some math, some aspects of, yeah, experimenting with mechanics themselves. I don't know. It's just, just a lot of playing around and toying around with, yeah, systems. Cool. Mhm. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about Morrowind? Um. I. Hmm. I get. I guess not. I. I fear. <laughs> I fear going on, going on about it because I'm. I'm a big fan of what the game managed to do, at that time. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> it, was, okay. It, was, it was good. It was good. Um, all right. All right. 
Well, you know what? If uh, if you're good, I'll I'll let you end it there. If there's anything else you want to say, you're welcome to. If, this is our if, podcast. If anything, if anything else important comes up, I'll I'll address it. Okay, uh, I will let you. I will let you. Sounds good. Okay, uh, do you want to switch over to me and I'll start doing my game? Yeah, give her. Okay, so um, it's the episode you've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> Today I'm going to talk about Final Fantasy VI, or as it was released in North America back in 1994, Final Fantasy III. I'm going to refer to it as Final Fantasy VI moving forward, because that's its given name everywhere now. Everybody just recognizes it as Final Fantasy VI. It's the one with the playable Moogle named Mog. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VI. It was designed by Squaresoft, published by Squaresoft, um, got released in Japan and North America in 1994, uh, ended up in our house, uh, 1994 Christmas season, because it was a game that Aaron wanted for Christmas, and it was what he got. Um, Aaron being my brother. (laughs) For anybody new to the show. Um... So, I'm just trying to think. I was 11, Aaron was 12 when he got that game. Um, So, uh, in terms of genre, it is a Japanese role-playing game, um, which is really kind of a genre into itself, but it was like, uh, it's really hard to explain just willy-nilly. But uh, Squaresoft JRPGs were a particular beast. Um, And this one was uh, actually... Uh, sort of a, a shift um, from what they had been releasing, uh, or at least uh, compared to Final Fantasy IV, where you had set classes. Um, so you know what? Maybe I'll just talk about the core mechanics quick and the out of the way. So in Final Fantasy VI, you traverse the world both in a large world map, but also in specific location-based instances. So, like, you go to a location on the world map, and then it turns into a, a, a secondary map, and you just explore that area. Fighting through random encounters and boss fights as you progress the story. Combat is turn-based, and there is a level progression and stats in this game, and characters get specific equipment based on their characteristics, which are predefined. So a good example is uh, there's a character named Loke, or Loki, depending on what translation you play, uh, who's a thief. He can steal. He wears mostly like um, uh, sort of like leather or uh, fabric-based armors. Uh, He moves faster than than other um, characters natively. Um, there's, there are other characters that have access to magic or access to heavier armor or access to different types of shields and different types of weapons. Whereas, uh, uh, Loke or Locke, God, I don't even know <laughs> <laughs> the, the treasure hunter. Um, uh, I always just rename them. That That's my biggest weakness is I renamed so many of the characters <laughs> in this game because I was playing it while I was an adolescent. So yep. like everybody was somebody I knew, um, We'll just, you know, we'll stick with Locke. Locke. Locke, the treasure hunter. Um, um, A a good example is uh, Mog, who was the Moogle. Uh, He could use spears. Um, And he also actually had access to heavier armor. Same thing with uh, Edgar... um, Edgar the Knight. Uh, He... Well, he's not a knight. He's a king. Uh, Lecherous king, I might add. But... uh, there were also like skills that they had. So, um, Mog could do things like dances, which would put him into sort of a berserker state, but then he would just generically do elemental type attacks or actually healing, um, 
Edgar could use tools that he created himself, uh, which were sort of beneficial and interesting. Uh, Locke could steal, um, and then uh, characters like Terra, who's like one of the main characters, at least at the start, uh, could use magic and eventually uh, manifest other skills. So I think I'm just going to say right off the top, there's probably going to be spoilers. And by probably, I mean there's going to be spoilers, but this is a... <laughs> it's an old game. <sighs> Yours, it's it's going to be... almost 30. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Getting clo- yeah, it's like 15, 14 right now, years old. Um, no, no, it's older than that. Uh, it was 20 years old four years ago so it's like almost it's 24 okay there we go um so anyways um all of this sort of gets turned on its head once you get to the esper systems um which will make more sense as i as i actually describe Mm -hmm. it later um so uh i'm gonna talk about some pros and cons of the game before i talk about my engagement so pros of the game um large large playable cast especially near the beginning and the end um very interesting story especially for its time uh this is one of those situations where uh and again spoilers um the bad guys win uh the bad guys win and then you have to take down what they become and um it's a hell of a thing to watch. It was a hell of a thing to see in 1994 on a Super Nintendo, um, just trying to push graphical representation of 16-bit sprites and tell that kind of story convincingly and engagingly. Um, It was, yeah, it was something I did not expect, especially at that age. From a game, uh, from a Nintendo game in particular, like it, it was something that you might be accustomed to on a PC, but that type of storytelling um, didn't t- typically occur on a console. Um, I mean, Final Fantasy IV had tried, and in a lot of ways it was sort of like the, the twirly mustache bad guy kind of situation, but Final Fantasy VI the story was a lot more robust it wasn't as black and white there were definite bad guys but uh yeah it was just it was interesting and the the incredibly large cast of characters all got just enough time for you to get a solid feel for who they were not to mention that their innate mechanics um also kind of breathed life into them and they felt like what they were supposed to be like on the battlefield when you're using them to fight they felt like the way that they were represented um in the story so that was always interesting that was a really big pro um yeah just like so much to explore tons of really good side quests for you to do like first time i played through this game i think i dedicated about 60 or 70 hours of my life to it just exploring every nook and cranny um cons 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 it hasn't aged well well ah that's not true it's aged okay um, there are plenty of other better uh, RPGs out there, uh, if you ask most people. The issue is uh, nostalgia is such a big factor for me mm-hmm. that I can't be objective. Um, so that's a, that's actually a con. Um, but I do really enjoy this game, and I, I feel like there are a lot of benefits. And I feel like it could be a really good intro um, to JRPGs for anybody who wants to play them. And there's so many ways to play this game now. Um, it's even on mobile, it's on PC, yeah. the ports for both it's mobile everywhere. and PC aren't, they're not horrible. 
Uh, there are better ways to play them, but I'm not going to, like, if you've never even touched this game before, you're not even going to notice the differences, yeah. and you'll be playing some of the latest versions of the game, so it's not a big deal. Um, uh, I guess other cons is if you're a little older, the writing is hokey. <laughs> there's some there's some hokey shit there. Like, it's, it's written yeah. to appeal to adolescents, yeah. right? Um, it's not the kind of story that's going to just grab you, and you're going to be like, all right, yeah, let's go. Um, it's very, for lack of a better word, it's anime, right? <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's kind of, a, it's an anime story. It, it introduces you to like these bombastic, ridiculous characters, uh, and either you care about it and you buy it or you don't, and it just becomes a tedious slog. Um, and that's, that can be both a pro and a con. Yeah. Um, so a bit of engagement, uh, again, I, I brought up the fact that my, uh, my brother and I, um, played this game that it was his Christmas present for uh, 1994 um, so <laughs> just after uh, he got out of the hospital no no he got well he got out of the hospital in uh, earlier no that was uh, yeah. that, that was I think a year or two prior um, but uh, and it was the summer um, but uh, that, that said um, this was one of the first games that like we set these Okay, so, so like a really weird sort of side tangent. What I learned from this game is, uh, you know how you get taught how to share games uh, or how to share like your toys mm. with your with your siblings. Um, there was this mutual respect that we were trying to establish in the house that I either my mom or my I'm pretty sure it was my dad initiated because I don't know if my mom would have been able to handle it. She probably just would have been like, okay, stop playing, <laughs> like. Um, and it was, it was Aaron's game, which meant if he wanted to play it, he got to play it. And then he put an additional caveat in that if I got to a point that he hadn't played yet, this is like the origin of spoilers here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I, he hadn't got to that point yet, I had to stop playing. I couldn't play any further. Any I had further to save ahead, the game. Yeah. And that's where I stopped until he got there. Um, and what's interesting is I really tested the limits of that. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure I, I won the game first. Um, I don't think it was in secret either. I think Aaron just sort of moved on. Um, I don't know if he ever actually won the game himself initially, hmm. but uh, he has by now. Um, but that that was sort of an interesting thing, like this this sort of house rule way of engaging yeah. with, uh, with the console um, that isn't something you would understand if you didn't have siblings, but if you did have siblings and there was always that competition to play the system or play the, the same device at the same time because you, you had like a, a game that you all wanted to play, that was something that uh, you had to learn how to moderate because otherwise there was chaos and pain. <laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, that was pretty well handled. Um, again, parents, that's that's actually a pretty important lesson. Yeah. Um, and it's something that isn't old and doesn't get tired because, like, you know, especially if you have limited funds, if you've only got one device in the house, um, but you have more than one child, you need to figure out how it's going to go from child to child to child if they all want it. Um, and you've got to make it fair um, because that is so important to children that things are fair even if the world really isn't 
<laughs> you need to the make household is nice when it yeah, is. Yeah. You need to make that the home seem fair at very least. Um, so that's an important lesson. Uh, something else that came out of this game. So uh, having such a large cast, but also being out in 1994 before the internet. Uh, Squaresoft did a really good job of releasing uh, strategy guides with its games, and some people would pick them up. My brother and I and my dad, my dad also played this game. Uh, my brother and I and my dad, like, we weren't strategy guide people in 1994. I don't think Aaron would start buying strategy guides, at least until 97. Um, I think he bought one for uh, for Final Fantasy VII, and then there was no turning back. Um, but uh, I actually think I have it in this room <laughs> which is kind of weird mm-hmm. i've got a bunch of parasite eve uh, strategy guides and stuff just sitting on the bookshelf yeah, yeah. um but uh this game and one of the reasons why i chose to talk about this game i mean i i love this game i can talk about uh significant parts of it anytime you want if anybody has played this game feel free to write in uh talk about your stories of glory or try to get some information out of me i'm not going to dive too deep into into the game today except to just explain why I feel this game is significant to me and that um, Playground Talk was a really big um, aspect of this game for me. Huh. I was not the only kid playing this in my community so there was uh i had a friend named alex and we also had a friend named ryan um both of them got this game both of them played this game um i think my brother's friend andy also got this game um so i mean square which which is weird because squaresoft felt like their (laughs) their games were like economic failures in north america but i'm talking rural ontario um, and there were families that were waiting for this game to come out and bought it, right? Like, like yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting because once somebody played one or two Squaresoft games, like you were hooked oh, because yeah. there wasn't a lot else like it. Yeah, um, for sure. Especially on console. Um, so at school, uh, every now and again, we would talk about the game, especially, I guess after we'd won it. Um, cause there were so many layers to six. There were, a, there were a lot of secrets, a lot of things going on. So like one secret was, uh, you could get a Sasquatch in your team. Um, not a lot of people realized that that was something that you could do because there was a lot of effort to getting into the town to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, after the world had ended, um, uh, another thing was you could get a mime in your team and not a lot of people knew how to do that. And actually I ended up explaining that to someone that there was an island where there was a creature that would eat all of your team and you had to let it happen and then you could proceed through the area and get the mime. And that was cool. Like um that it was cool that number one we discovered that. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> but also um number two that that was something that I was able to share with other people and they were able to to benefit from it. Um, and there were tons of other weird little things that happened in this game. Um, another good example was the same island where you you get the mime. It's just this little island in the top right corner. Um, in the world before it gets ravaged, uh, you can go there and there is a creature that will show up called an integer that is invisible. You can't see it doesn't engage you unless you engage it 
and if you attack it, it will automatically cast like one of the strongest spells from Final Fantasy IV on you called Meteo or Meto, um, and just like ruin your party. But it'll give you, uh, I think it's something absurd, like uh, 10 magic points, which is really important once you've gotten to a certain point in the game because you're just teaching everybody in your party all of this magic to make them like these super uh, mage knights. Um, really, really easy and quick way to to level up your uh, your spellcasting ability. Um, and not a lot of people knew about that either, uh, which was interesting. I'm not even sure if that showed up in the strategy guide. Like, I'm, I'm sure the creature itself showed up in the strategy guide, but the easiest way to kill that thing was just to cast Doom on it, um, because it would just die. Because there was a glitch in Final Fantasy VI where if you had Invisible on you, uh, your magic defense automatically went to zero. Um, huh. wasn't an intentional glitch. You weren't supposed to be able to do that, but it worked. So what ended up happening is all of us, um, like all of us at school, we actually ended up sharing that information. So it'd be like, okay, you know what? Uh, let's figure out what bosses we can actually vanish and then doom uh, to kill. And there were some that you could do that, but you couldn't do that with undead bosses. So you had to use spells like Exxon, which would banish them to other astral planes. Or there were some really nifty tricks where you could do things like... Um, cast life on them while they were invisible and then they would come to life and die if they were undead um a really infamous thing is you could use a phoenix down on the phantom train um and a lot of people had no idea this was something that you could do uh i didn't even know that somebody had to tell me uh which is uh an item that brings you back to life but if you use it on the phantom train which is a ghost train it kills it automatically yeah um, and there was tons of stuff like that in that game. Yeah. Um, but none of that will compare to, I think it was 2006, 2005. So I'm talking with my friends. We've played the game like hours and hours and hours. Most of us have won it before. I've won it, uh, I think, once or twice at this point. And they're talking about a character named Shadow, who is this... <laughs> Like, to me, is just this, like, throwaway ninja character that you encounter in the start of the game. He shows up, he hangs out for a little bit, and then, you know, he, he dies, right? Like, he, he dies. He dies. He sacrifices himself on the floating continent. And it's it's really cool. It's just, it's something that happens, but no big deal. Um, and then he gets this cool little cutscene at the end of the game where it's just a memory of who he used to be, um in in a town and it turns out that he's like somebody's father um (laughs) and you're just like okay well that's you know that's some that's some cool little you know inside stuff (laughs) also thank you for that text too oh (laughs) well timed um so i'm i'm explaining to my friends um that I'm kind of bummed out because there's all these rumors going on uh, about how you can play, uh, especially in video game. I think it was like Game Pro or Electric Gaming Monthly, that there might be ways to play General Leo, who is this character that you get in your party for, uh, I think, all of five minutes. He's like this really powerful character. He's got this awesome skill set. Uh, he's got a nice weapon that lets him do some really cool things. Um and I'm like, you know, it would be really cool if Shadow stayed in your party. And everybody looks at me like I'm 
crazy. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, like he dies on the continent, the, the floating continent. It'd be really cool if you could get him in. And actually, I think you can for whatever reason. There's like some weird uh, some weird audio that I read where they actually mistake somebody for shadow in in the world of ruin. And again, everybody I'm talking to is looking at, at me like I'm an idiot. And eventually, I think it's my friend Ryan who's just like, you can get Shadow in in the world of Ruin. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, you can get Shadow in the world of Ruin. And I'm like, how? He dies on the floating continent. They're like, if not if you wait for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what are you, you can what? wait for him? Like, what are you talking about? You can wait for him? Because, okay, the, uh, the floating continent, um, when you beat the boss up there a timer starts and you have to evacuate and i don't know if it was because it was just one of the first games we'd ever played with a timer but every single person in my house my father myself and my brother through it. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah no we ran yeah like we didn't fuck around we got out and we jumped uh there's even a little text message that is like do you want to wait it's like no we don't want to wait like get, get off this fuck fucking island. like it's blown up <laughs> Um, and what you have to do is you have to wait. If you want Shadow, you have to wait. And then once you get into the world of Ruin, you have to do a number of things and you can actually recruit him. Um, so that was like, I think that was the first time uh, that number because because Final Fantasy VI had so many characters, like you could actually win the game with just three people. And then you wouldn't get the story for anybody else. Yeah. Uh, it would just be like little cutscenes. Um. But for almost two years, I had no idea, <laughs> like, everybody you could get. Yeah. Um, and that was just, that was kind of that was kind of bonkers. Uh, I, it was the same thing for uh, for Mog. We knew that you could get him, but we didn't know how to get him. And I think I had to talk to my friend Alex to figure it out. But I know that I had I talked to my friend Ryan to figure out how to get uh, Shadow, because it was something that I had never done. Yeah. And nobody ever realized that I didn't know how to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. That was that was one of those situations where like talk on the the playground was a big deal. I don't know if that exists anymore because there's so many wikis and it's yeah. so easy to just do it online. Yeah, right? like this is one of those things where if you weren't alive in the '90s, it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. Well, um, there, there are still some games and some people who approach them, you know, kind of seeking to do the exploration themselves. I and. feel like there may even be a little bit of that right now with Fortnite. Like the designers are doing, uh, the developers are doing enough like weird sort of extra shit, like the, uh, the sky breaking and all the, uh, the extra stuff that's getting pumped into the world right now. Um, like potential time warp, stuff like that. I think that that's cool. That's the type of stuff that you would talk about. Yeah. Right now, if you're in like, uh, I'd say like middle school to to high school, like it it would be cool stuff to talk about, and that's where a lot of the rumors would come from. Because somebody will be like, "Oh yeah, you know, I was playing this round, I dug down and I found this," you know. Um, <coughs> so I don't think that that magic is gone, per se. It's just changed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh. That's a little bit of Final Fantasy VI. I know, uh, sort of just scraping the top of it and ruining a, a section of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, what what's interesting in terms of playing the game, I think the way that it was designed, it does a really good job of, like, the game's progression does a really good job of teaching you how to use the abilities of each character. I think maybe with the exception of the Sasquatch, um, the Mime, who's kind of self-explanatory, except you can also equip them with a bunch of additional abilities, which is something you don't get told. Um, and, uh, Gao, who's like the berserk character, um, he just learns how to fight like an animal and there's a whole process, but I feel like that gets explained okay. Um, and even training and using magic is well explained. Um, it's, there's things like hidden benefits attached to, or that, that you're given when you level up, when you have like these magical beasts attached to you, that's not explained really well. Um... And other than that, I feel like the game, like, if you've played a JRPG, it makes sense. Uh, press A to win. Yeah. <laughs> like just just, uh, just fight to win. Um, also, just, like, fight every battle you encounter, because why wouldn't you? Uh, as long as you do that, your XP just keeps moving up, and that's what you want. Um... Yeah, I think, I think that's really about it. Um... There was also, like, a, a funky glitch that we got uh, that I've researched since then, and it there were so many variables. You could even actually brick your game if you do it the wrong <laughs> way, um, where you uh, use a, one character's ability to sketch an invisible creature, and then it, it basically breaks the game, breaks the inventory system, and as long as you can flee from that battle, you know when you break the game because things, things start get to get creepy. <laughs> Um, like things get glitchy in an obvious way. Um, as long as you can retreat from that battle, uh, you go into your inventory, which is broken. Um, and it's just filled with every, basically every conceivable item in the game, multiple. Uh, so like 99 or more, um, like impossible numbers Mm -hmm. (laughs) of stuff. And that, that includes some of the best items in the game. So that was that was interesting. We did that by accident once, and then that was sort of the standard for how we played that game after that point, because it was just too fun to get all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I shared that secret as well. So that said, how linear was the game? Final Fantasy VI is pretty linear until you get to the world ending. Like, it's, uh, there's a railroad, uh, I would say that there are points where you probably should spend a little bit of time leveling up, but for the most part, you can follow the story all the way to the end, um, and you might get beat up a little bit at the floating continent, but as long as you spend some time leveling up and getting magic, uh, then it wasn't too bad. It's not too tough. And then once you get to the end of the game, literally the end game, the world opens up. And it's up to you whether or not you want to find everybody else you were adventuring with before the world ended. Um, and depending on how much spare time you have, you do. <laughs> right? Like, I, whenever I play it, and I used to actually play this game every two to three years, um, I would find everybody. I would take the time, find everybody, um, then, like, get my characters to a level that I was happy with. And I feel like every time I go back and play that game, I find something new. Um, there are new iterations of the game um, where there's like this whole 
secondary dungeon that you can go into if you beat these dragons uh, that, that show up at the end of the world. And that's interesting and cool. Uh, I kind of like that, um, but I've never gone through all of that content. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the first part of it, 100%. The yeah. later end of it is wide, wide open, which is something that um, is a, a little surprising. Have you ever played through it? I don't think you have, have you? Not all the way, no. I've done, like, chunks of it. Yeah, and if you're not down for the hokey, then... <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hard <laughs> yeah. to, to engage with. Yeah, it's, it's a lot harder to do when you're older. Uh, if your brain is still smushy and <laughs> impressionable <laughs> and, you're, you know, you think like a child... Um, or uh, a younger individual, it, it, it's probably a lot more engaging. Um, I, I just I asked that thing about linearity because um, one of the things that I neglected to mention about Morrowind was the directionality of like the exploration process of not having objective markers. Oh my god. Of yeah, actually having to read things that say, you know, go east from this town, past the big rock, oh, no, turn that, left at yeah. the tree to find the cave, if, that kind of stuff. If you're not careful in Final Fantasy three, you could be walking around for a long time not knowing what you're doing. Okay. Right. You you want to read. You want to know where you're supposed to go. Uh luckily I mean there was this one section like you gotta go to the City of Thieves. There's a bird that flies to the City of Thieves, so you have a basic Follow idea of how bird. to get there. Um oh we got to get to this town you know there's like a, a, a there's always like an aerial view where it'll show you where you probably should be going and then once you get the airship you just fly yourself there yeah and, yeah and you, or you walk yourself there or you jump on a chocobo and go there right like that's uh that's how you do yeah. <laughs> that's how you do yeah. um but no once you get into the end of the world uh, it shows you where the big bad guy is um it gives you the way to get to the big bad guy and then it's up to you whether or not you want to go there or not and you even have the option to leave <laughs> once yeah. you go there by accident the first yeah. time and that's what I got nice that's it cool did hmm. you have anything else you wanted to say because that's really what I got um, I mean it was a nice RPG uh, JRPG um very big part of my life music was incredible yeah. in that game yeah uh, the music for that game it, even to this day uh like it's been put to orchestral uh yeah like quality and it is yeah. so good it's it's actually so interesting because uh nobao imatsu uh who did most of the final fantasy stuff and jeremy soul who did a lot of the elder scroll stuff are actually two of my favorite composers that is pretty interesting that's a really good point and yet you don't really like is the dragonborn song not <laughs> not that guy I remember you got so bad I just I okay Wait. <laughs> that's because of a few specific people that I went to school with who for months you could not see them anywhere like everywhere they walked through the hallways at Brock just constantly like it was just super fucking obnoxious yeah. for our hero months. our hero a warrior's heart months months no 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 <laughs> just dovakin 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 the dragonborn dovakin. 
Anyway. <laughs> but it's that's not it's like Dovikin Dogim Hisore. Oh yeah. 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 But yeah. you know what? You'd have to know that. It's easier yeah. to just say Dovikin over and over and over and over. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> that's brutal. <laughs> Come kids. Oh man. Oh, okay. Good, um, good fun. Right. Good fun. Well, anyway, thank you. yeah. Thank you for that. They're all yeah. They're all music. Great. Music. Oh music yeah. No, they're, they're yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Final Fantasy VI. Um, maybe if you're not into meaty, uh, just check out the redone uh, yeah, check orchestral out, stuff. Check out the it's orchestral still stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Oh my god. Um. Okay, well, you know what? I think maybe we're going to shift away. Uh, if anybody wants me to keep talking about Final Fantasy VI, just send an email in. I love talking about mm-hmm. it. I love playing it. Uh, feel free. Ask me anything. Um, there's not much of that game that I don't know. So, yeah. How about we jump into the next section? Yeah. Okay, so the next section is what can you teach us? And we do have an email. Uh, we have an email uh, from... Yes. Friend of the show, Jam Elias from Gaming History 101. He wrote in in response to episode 23, which was about uh, gaming in hospitals. So I'm just going to pull it up. Pardon my clicking. And I'm going to take a drink. All right. I'm going to try and get through this. If I can't, I might bounce out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've got it up. Okay. So I'm blowing out of my nose. Okay. So. Okay, here we go. Okay, hello, Chase and Stu. I very much enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank Thanks. you, Jam. <laughs> we, uh, well, I enjoy your podcast as well, and uh, your articles at uh, Gaming History 101. Uh, some feedback on your most recent show. I much enjoyed hearing about uh, how your brother coped in the hospital with gaming. I used to volunteer with Hospital Radio, and the common feedback I heard from patients was how boring it was staying in the hospital. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Radio being one of the few things that take your mind off of things. Yeah. The thing about hospitals is if you don't have a TV or a radio, it sucks. Um, I I think that's a lot easier to overcome now with uh, mobile technology and, and, uh, like, pad devices. Um, But, man, uh, 90s and early 2000s and everything before that, (laughs) tough. Yeah. (laughs) Tough, tough, tough. Um, Man, CRT. Could you imagine CRTs? CRTs just in a... uh, They Uh used to have them on, like, these huge swivel arms in in hospitals. It was nuts. Yeah, yeah. I have never been in hospital for a long stay, but I have dealt with pain long term. Uh, Okay, so uh, gaming... uh, Also, sorry to hear that, Jim. Gaming has helped with this pain to a degree. Short burst play on uh, on puzzle style games have helped divert my attention away from the problem. Fan favorites are Tetris, Poyo Poyo, and Bust a Move. All great puzzlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't played them, um, so roguelike games also helped a lot too. I know. Uh, I noticed you discussed Rogue Legacy last podcast. I'm a huge fan of this game. Uh, whoops, my cursor was in the way. I played it for several hours on my Vita and hope the game one day comes to Switch. I think it is. I think it is coming to Switch. Other roguelike games I enjoy are Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon. As a Binding of Isaac player, yeah, also very, very solid. Also, both of those are on Switch. Uh, The Switch has everything on it now, Stu. I don't know (laughs) if you know that. Um, 
including shovelware. Holy crap, the Switch <laughs> has a lot of shovelware now. Yeah. Um, these games helped uh, with pain short-term, but longer play sessions, I found, made the symptoms worse. That's that's too bad. Um, this could be because the body is t- was tiring. I'm not a scientist. Uh, that's fair, neither are we. <laughs> long story long story based games like The Witcher, Dishonor Two, etc. often made the symptoms awful from the get go as you spend long lengths of time watching and reading the story. Luckily for me, a recent I recently had an operation, which I'm recovering from, which has helped. I'm in significantly less pain, uh, the first few uh, for the first time in two years now which means I may be able to enjoy these longer story-based games again. But knowing me, I'll probably get <laughs> get into another roguelike. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that, Jam. There's nothing wrong with that. You do you, bud. Uh, anyways, thanks for the entertainment and good times. I eagerly... E- oh, pfft, how did I fuck that one up? I eagerly <laughs> look forward to the next episode. Uh, love you lots. Jam the Weirdo from Gaming History 101. Well, thank you very much, Jam. Yeah. Um, glad to hear that things are on, on the upswing. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have time for longer story-based games, that's fine. Uh, you can get a lot of joy out of roguelikes. A hundred percent. I mean, I just I, I grew up with story-based. Um, and sometimes it's hard for me to not play them. <laughs> like I'm, uh, We'll talk about that in games <laughs> we're playing later. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I'm playing one right now. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. Well, hey, yeah, thank you very much, Jim, for sharing that. Uh, it's pretty insightful. Uh, radio is something I hadn't really considered, but I also spend a shit ton of time listening to stuff. Like, I listen to tons of podcasts, man. And when I don't listen to podcasts, I'm listening to the radio because um, my my work is, like, uh, typing and visual, but my brain can also listen to stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so my workday is filled, filled with audio. Um, and I've got to say, that's actually how, uh, that's how I engage with some games I'm interested in now as well. Uh, because I don't have the, the time to dedicate to gaming that I would like, uh, things like the last of us, which I would like to have played. I just listened to, and I was absolutely enamored with the game, but yeah, it doesn't. It's not a roguelite. It, it's not a quick puzzler. It's not something you could sit down for with briefly. It's it is a longer style, like longer session kind of game. But I find yeah. that LPs are actually a good uh, avenue into getting into those kinds of things. So if there is a game that you're particularly interested in that you think just doesn't suit your lifestyle in terms of being able to engage with it, maybe just scoop up an LP and then. Like you can listen to it for ten or fifteen minutes while you're doing something else, just to kind of get the snippets going. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty interesting uh, suggestion. There are games that I would like to do that for because, uh, like, they're such a prominent part of popular culture mm-hmm. that I kind of do everybody a disservice by not knowing what happens. To them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like um, some of so them are turning into cultural icons, and um, like I feel I, like I I'm should missing do it for out. Life and it, yeah, because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get through it. <laughs> that's um, fair. That's fair. And it's I should probably just watch it. I that's actually an interesting one to get through because once you see the ending, I found it. Fa- I like lost an evening at some point looking at different people's reactions, and the different let's players trains of thought as they worked out their final decision and seeing right. people from different backgrounds and different demographs 
talk through their decision was absolutely fascinating. Well, I think what I would do is I would watch, um, I would watch uh, a mute one, so one where the let's player doesn't talk at all. Uh, yeah. So it's just the just the game, just the 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 game, and then go in and look at people's opinions of yeah. it. Oh yeah. Um, it was neat. Cool, 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 cool. Um, speaking of games, uh, why don't we jump into our next section, which is what we've been playing? So again, Jam, yeah, thank thanks, for, Jam. Thank you for your email. Um, and Stu, I've got a bunch of games I've been playing. Do you want to talk about what you've been playing? Also, I moved away from the mic because <laughs> that may <laughs> that makes editing fun. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I have had an insane little while. I've been playing a little bit less. I've had like. 15, 20 minutes at a time into Hexel's Infinite. I'm still playing that game. That's a fun puzzle game. Um, nice. Gem, check it out. It's because it's because <laughs> it's infinite. So uh, puzzles take <laughs> like you can crush through a puzzle in like five minutes or something. Um, so you could do one, two, three of those and then piss off. Um, and they're random, so that's good. It's it. Yeah, I, I don't know. There aren't a lot of randomly generated puzzle games like that. It's kind of like Minesweeper on crack. Whatever, check it out. It's fun. Um, cool. No tabletop idea. simulator. We're trying to, like, every few weeks we get a game in on there. Um, I actually recently had some more Smite. Uh, it was, oh, yeah, it was you. neat because my history was empty. So it had been quite a while since I had played. Uh, and I think when you come back after a long hiatus, the matchmaking says, like, oh, you haven't been here in a while. Maybe you're a little rough. A little rusty. <laughs> well, you're a little rusty we'll here. You, uh, we'll we'll drop yeah. your skill a little bit. Oh, you're playing. We'll give you some playing games. assault there here. Have a have a god you're comfortable with. It was it was hysterical. I spent a few games just shit kicking people up and down the world. It was fa- it was oh. so funny. Um, wow. Eventually, it decided that I should get my ass handed to me, and that happened for a while too. But whatever, that's that's fun. Um, the new game that I've been playing is Deep Rock Galactic. Okay, Deep Rock Galactic is, I believe, still in early access. It is a co-op, I guess, kind of like a... um, It's an FPS where you and, ideally, you have a friend that you can go with. Uh, You play as dwarves, and you're going mining on a hostile planet that has a bunch of angry insects. Oh, So you get different missions that... So it's kind of like a combination of, like, Minecraft and earth defense force so you're like going and trying to extract precious minerals or you know accomplish objectives that are that involve some kind of mining uh well swarms of insects and and bugs try and come and eat your faces that sounds kind of like it it is it is (laughs) so much fun fun. it i was surprised i picked it up on kind of a lark i'm like i'll give it a shot and see uh, it is wicked fun. It's yeah, not everybody likes Earth Defense Force, but like that was such a fun game yeah. for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really is, and that sounds awesome. It's it's a little bit more claustrophobic than EDF games are. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it, it, it more like Left for Dead or Vermintide. Um, sort it's of? it's weird because it it, it kind of comes in waves. So you do a little bit of ex- there's definitely an exploration factor. Again, random levels. Everything is dark light is like lighting things up is a big part of it 
So you're kind of trying yep. to find what you need to mine and go and mine it. And every now and then, a swarm of things will come. And you get warnings like, okay, guys, get ready. Um, sensors have picked up a shit ton of stuff coming, so get your shit together. Yeah. There are definitely, like, small patrols and that kind of thing that you have to deal with or, like, um, things on the, the roof of caverns that will suck you up and chomp on you, uh, like Half-Life Barnacles, that kind of thing. Uh, so there, there's definitely an element of, like, cooperative FPS. It is PvE solely. Uh, there is friendly fire, <laughs> That's which is a thing, yeah, which is great because most of the dwarves have, like, Gatling guns and grenade launchers and that kind of shit, so it's perfect. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's um, nice. But it's, it's really fun, and there are different classes of dwarves that you get to play. They all have very different skills, so, the, it, like, the, the cooperative element is actually very prevalent. It, the classes right now there are four i think they're aiming to have five or six soon okay um yep. and that's i th think they're gonna stop at six with the proper release that's i don't know that the impression i'm under uh but the the flavors of the classes are very different and yeah it, it is a really strong it's not just like tank and healer they're actually because the mining is such a uh, an important part of it everybody brings their own flavor of helping the team get minerals and different combinations of those classes actually interact in in interesting ways uh yeah it's it's neat if you like co-op stuff or you like uh, fps's with a bit of a twist or you like kind of if you like minecraft but wish you had an objective i don't know check it out it's neat okay cool that's it <laughs> okay um cool very cool. Well, thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that, and that's actually pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I might, uh, I might look into that. Um, so for me, over the last month, uh, played a little bit of Monster Hunter World. Uh, I'm not saying I'm falling off of that, um, but I just I had a bunch of other stuff to play. Um, uh, okay, uh, played a little bit of Hollow Knight. Uh, not gonna say I bounced off of that game. Uh, just there was other stuff that caught my oh. attention, so I was playing it. Um, and Hollow Knight, there was something that was going on when I was, uh, I think my controller wasn't synced up right True. with the Switch, so the controls felt like a little more floaty than I'm used to and not as responsive, oh. um, which is a bit of a problem in a platformer. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I played it again with the controllers in the uh, in the Switch, and it felt a lot better. I don't know if it was just like the digital Blu-ray delay, or not Blu-ray, um, what's the uh, Bluetooth? Bluetooth yeah. uh, delay or or what? But um, yeah, because that yeah, that's it, actually a platformer that I had been looking at and almost picked yeah. up a bunch of times. And one of the reasons is because everybody says that the controls are super tight. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah on the switch, uh, when you're many many feet away. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's <laughs> so, different. Yeah. Um, when it's in the console, uh, definitely a lot better. I would say uh, maybe played best on a controller if you have it. Um, just something to, to keep yep. in mind, but, um, it is a nice looking game and, uh, I'm excited to get deeper into it, but I got distracted, mm -hmm. uh, one by Solaris, which, uh, <laughs> we can talk about that if you want, because I played a game to completion, oh, yeah. um, and Octopath Traveler, which is another JRPG, which is retro like, but, uh, produced specifically for the Switch and it has been a good oh, time. Yeah. I think maybe I'll hold off on talking too much about that, uh, just because I might actually talk about that game once I complete okay. it. Yep. 
Um, but Stellaris, <laughs> oh, Stu, <laughs> oh, Stu, when you leave artificial intelligences alone to do whatever they want. They do good things. Um, oh, Stu, <laughs> the stuff that I did, the stuff that I did. Okay, so um, when we last left my race, uh, it was a bunch, uh, they were the Calibrix Automated Core, mm-hmm. and what they did is... Um, basically everything really really well um they were expensive uh basically how they reproduced was they made themselves they were expensive to make but they were incredibly cheap to maintain and they were very good at things like mining and producing energy and after i was around in the universe long enough um, i started getting really good at research and then i started customizing my race so i would actually custom design each individual population based on the benefits of the tile that I was putting the race on because I had modification ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying I game the system, but I expanded at a rate much faster than any of the organic races. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, um, I definitely uh, got some advantages. Uh, and um, yeah so then people started being dicks there was somebody who started well no because like you you butt up against other other empires oh yeah i had this one guy like um one guy it was uh the space dwarves no business at all like did nothing to them uh offered uh trade treaties right away like how i handled every single race that i ran into is i threw stuff at them i was just like look i want you to like me I throw stuff at them. Uh, these guys just happen to be religious military uh, types. Uh. Um, I throw stuff at them. They take it. They're happy to take it. And then they Corvus belly me and say, hey, this system is ours. Hey, this system is yeah. ours. And do nothing about it. <laughs> like They're just like claiming these systems, um, but hmm. they don't they don't act on it. Uh, which is something that you can do in Stellaris. You can just be like, okay, well, uh, I claim the system. And that claim can be around for hundreds of yep. years and never go away. Um, and then when you actually do eventually go to war with them, if you if you take it, um, you, can, you, just you can sue to actually get it. it. Uh, well, it's a little more complicated than that. But um, So anyways... Uh, eventually, I get involved in some politics, and uh, the the guy decides that he's going to declare war um, against me because I'm helping somebody he doesn't like. And then I promptly stomp his face and take two of his <laughs> take two of his uh, two of his systems. Yeah. Uh, the war ends like sue for peace. The war ends. I've got like two new systems. One of the planets in that system is filled with these little dwarf dudes. Um, they hate me like just to clarify they hate me um i'm a robot they're super inefficient dwarves are are so short they can't even reach the top shelves of anything they're so inefficient they're not integrating into my energy energy grid the way that they're supposed to so you liquefy literally they're literally (laughs) draining my resources in a way that i can't like i can't um so I'm just like, how can I mitigate this? So what I do is I isolate them in a sector. Um, I give it to a governor and it's still leeching all of my resources. So I'm like, okay, well, what options do I have? 
can't relocate them. I don't have a planet to put them on that's suitable because I can live everywhere and they can't live anywhere. Yeah. They're these delicate little dwarves. Um, <sighs> so I come to the decision. I'm like, the most efficient solution to this problem is to eliminate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we process the the dwarven colony and then it gets replaced by efficient robots and everyone in the universe it is slightly upset responds <laughs> everyone oh yeah um my genocide of that planet would follow me for years yeah. um so w- understandably like <laughs> like um and it was just like the first mistake of a machine intelligence like i had never had to engage with organics before i didn't know how to i didn't know how to integrate them into my uh into my uh population i had no means yeah. to do so um and all that they were doing they were never going to like me like their, oh, no. their race there was i religious I didn't even have any buildings or not any, gonna, yeah any technology to, to even like try to deal with that um and there, there didn't seem to be any options in my technology tree. Like, there was just nothing I could yeah. do. Um, which is never an excuse for genocide, <laughs> let me be clear. Um, <laughs> but that's what happened. Um, I learned my lesson, you would hope. Uh, so You'll then, do it again. <laughs> You'll totally do it again. So then, yes. Uh, so then there was uh, the, the Great War that came after. Uh, there was a, a race that was in my my southern borders. Basically, what I decided to do is I had I had a friend um, that was in basically the center of the universe that let me fly through his territory. I had enough uh, influence built up that I started. I I basically just flew um, a scout and a colony base into the middle of an unclaimed section of the galaxy, and I started what was effectively like the renaissance the second um the second uh i guess automated core center um and so then i had two territories and eventually what happened is the guy who was pressed in between those two territories was really uncomfortable with it (laughs) and was also really uncomfortable with the fact that i had genocided these dwarves and had never liked me even though i continually threw stuff at him just kept trying to get him to like me but like my my robot intelligence no way to talk to these people um in a way that would ever ever be oh i empathize with that very well (laughs) um (laughs) so then so then eventually something happens um they declare war on me and I get really upset because I am like I am a significant power in the universe, and I'm just like you know what, you are disrupting, you're disrupting what could be a very beautiful, uh, connected <laughs> empire. Um, so then I just start cutting, I start cutting away at their territory, I start claiming it, um, but I'm not taking any of the planets that have people on them. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm just I'm engaging their military. I'm taking the systems that don't have planets in them, and then I come across this technology that is effectively I create a Death Star. Um, um, yeah, is that what that's called? What's the, oh my god? I'm for, I'm blanking on the uh, the name of the the. That's no moon. It's a space station in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. 
What is that? What what is that? Uh, what? Titan Doomstar. I always get them confused. Oh my God! What Dreadnoughts. Is that? It's a uh, big happy fun ball uh, of planet destroying joy. No, it's the <laughs> Death Star. Yeah, no, I it is the Death no, Star. I okay. basically make okay. yeah, I make a Death yeah. Star. Um, so I make a Death Star, um, and uh, I, under no uncertain terms, the second I make it. The galaxy responds, and they're just like, "Oh, you, you like you have a super have weapon. <laughs> we can see it." Um, so, <laughs> so uh, my neighbor responds and is just like, "You better not use that against me." And I'm like, "That's, That's kind of where I made it." it. <laughs> um, and then, uh, then, then he goes to war with me again, yeah. which is, and I'm just like, "This is foolish." And so then my conditions for that war when he initiates it is um, I'm just going to use this weapon and I will claim what I want. So then I no longer have to declare Corvus Belle. I just get stuff. And I can sweep entire planets. Um, So I I start promptly doing that and not really paying attention. So I'm I'm basically annihilating. I eventually end up annihilating the majority of the race. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Not the entire. Uh, they end up. Ha- they ended up having a satellite, um, a satellite civilization, uh, because they were attached to a wormhole, and I closed them off and blocked them out of my side of space. Yeah. Um, and while this is all happening, I get like these notifications that there's these weird subspace echoes going on, um, and I'm not That's really paying fine. a lot of attention to it. And, <laughs> and uh, everybody else in the universe is organic except for uh, another robot intelligence that is uh, uh they're basically like slumbering um oh, yeah. they're ancient an ancient robot intelligence yep. nice um and they like me and they've actually requested some of my civilization um that I give them some of my people so that they can make them better and they returned them and they were better and we got a lot of experience nice. for it um anyways uh so yeah i uh, that all happens the universe watches and the universe starts to turn on me uh, because they're scared of me. Justifiably, yep. I've wiped out millions, if not billions, of yep, people. Yeah, way to go. Um, in an efficient way, like it, it was called the particle sweep, where you uh, eliminate all organic matter from the surface of the planet, but leave the infrastructure intact. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was a really sweet yeah, weapon. That was perfect. <laughs> like, it was really awesome. Uh, because there are three doomsday weapons. There's the destroy the whole planet, like it, it cracks the yeah, planet, yeah. turns it into asteroids. There's the um, very star control two, put an impenetrable shield around the planet. So it's the most humane, but like they will never leave that yeah. planet ever. Yeah. And then there's the particle sweep, eliminate all organic life infrastructure is intact. Um, and that is by far the most efficient yeah. option, so it was the one that I took. Anyway, um, finished doing that horrible thing. A bunch of people don't declare war on me, but they all hate me. Um, and then the un, the unbeckoned show up. Uh, and they are a race of ascended energy people. Uh, their portal opens up directly in the center of the new territory that I've just claimed. Mm-hmm. That is unfortified, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they spread. They start spreading, and I, I like it was at this point. And this is the beauty of Stellaris. It was at this point that I'm like, okay, this game's over. <laughs> like this game is over. There is no way that Anyone's I'm going to win this because this, yeah. 
because my most significant fleets are right there and they get crushed yep. right away. Yep. They get destroyed. And I'm like, there's no way I'm coming back from that. Um, so the unbidden come in, they start creating a salient and then something happens. One of the ancient races that isn't the robot, it's a bunch of birds, um, react. And they're just like, this is a threat to our universe. We all have to unify and we have to fight it. And they start sending fleets and they start beating them back and holding them back. And they're trying to unify the universe. Um, and they're really good friends with me because I've actually taken a perk that makes me like a holy warrior against these things, um, against the unbidden. Um, but the rest of the universe Still will not let go <laughs> of this, like, what this... I felt was an incredibly efficient solution to a very annoying but problem. frankly, it was a lot, you did a lot of terrible shit at the end of the day. Yeah, no, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people fucking mm-hmm. died. Um, yeah, just, oh man. Um, so what's funny is the bird people eventually get involved in all kinds of politics and almost like real life, it ends up bogging them down from their crusade to stop these things. But what they were able to do was they were able to distract them and defeat them and hold them back long enough that all that happens is the unbidden get this salient within my territory and I react, build defenses, and have it at a point where if they send fleets at me that aren't too big, as long as I have reinforcing fleets, you can my hold. star bases and my fleets can can yeah can beat them. Um and then I just start building from there and the bird people get involved in like these crazy wars on the other side of space and just start using their doomsday weapon as well <laughs> uh, <laughs> to lock people, to lock people in these unbreakable shields. And I'm like, how am I the bad guy? Like th- he did it. Oh my God. That bird like <laughs> did it to so many people like didn't stop yeah. all like, and so then I'm just fighting the unbidden by myself. And eventually I just push them back, which is fair. I mean, it was in my territory. It was really my responsibility Your at that problem, point. Yeah. Um, so I solve the problem. I push them back. And then it's like I resolve the endgame crisis. Um, don't I? <laughs> uh, but when I do, like, nobody gives a shit. Everybody still hates me because I killed so many people. Um yeah, just like uh, there's there was some really interesting stuff that happened in that game, and then eventually I got cocky and I was like, well, you know what? I'll just take on the universe, and uh, then then I got smacked. <laughs> <laughs> I got beaten up. Um, yeah, there was a uh, there was no part of that game. There was a little bit of a lull, and that's when I kind of started manipulating things to get into that war with that that one race. And I think maybe I should up the difficulty it because sounds uh, like I, yeah yeah things were a little too yeah. easy. Um, but if there had been even just one other human in that mix, it would have just changed things so drastically. Yeah. Um, but even even then, like just playing single player, like I could do it again. I'm already playing another yeah. game um, as an organic race who can make robots. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, just because, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to get. A game like that. There was oh, there was also a mid-game crisis where uh, basically there were mercen- uh, marauder mercenaries that you could hire to basically just uh, they would throw themselves at whatever cause uh, as long as you paid the right amount of mm-hmm. money. One of them woke up and became a con and started conquering the universe. That's a mid-game crisis, I guess. It's what they refer to oh, it okay. as. 
Um, I weathered that without any problem whatsoever, but it was like actually scary at the time. Um, but all that stuff, like it was engaging, it was interesting. The politics game is there now. Um, the stuff that you can do in mid game is there. So I would argue that Stellaris maybe at launch wasn't the best, but now with enough of the expansions in, it's actually a pretty fun and playable game for single player. So mm. yeah, it, it get and I just talked about it for a long time. <laughs> um yeah uh i think you were interested in playing it again but you're it's the paywall that's holding you back no right? i picked it up and i have been slowly chunking through but i when i don't have a ton of time i don't like to jump into it yeah that's fair. and i haven't that's had fair. a ton of time in a ton of time <laughs> well what are you playing what are you playing as? Because like the half the fun is making the race oh and yeah then just absolutely the story. when I bounced into right. there again like it had been a while like with all the DLC um, and whatever updates they've done none of my existing races were legal yeah you have to so I had to remake them all yep. um, not remake them all but remake them uh, I actually started going through as a uh, a pacifistic technologist nice and I've got to say awesome. being a pacifist fucking infuriating <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> like yeah. every problem that comes up i'm like can't i just like can't i just murder these shitheads and take their shit no, no. like no. you you can't even interfere on on small levels You're like yeah these are like bronze age do they count as people apparently like it's the only good planet for fucking ever but no i can't take it uh it's prime directive man you know it just oh began. it's so frustrating the nice thing though is the way i had that race set up uh i there was one race that pissed me off and i wasn't feeling super diplomatic and just kind of egged them on and eventually when they i kind of coerced them into attacking me and just was able to absolutely obliterate their their army very quickly and oh, kind of yeah that sounds fun turn it around pretty quick be like no they they started it uh <laughs> no their people are actually mine because uh they're dumb and bad and they totally with, started it. Nice. With the new game that I played, I upped the number of habitable planets. Um, just because even playing as a robot that can live on basically every planet, I noticed the universe was a bit sparse. It, uh, so the default setting for planets, um, like habitable planets, I just upped it by, I think, one or two. Yeah. Um, uh, like a, a multiplier, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, just because, like, if I'm a robot who can live everywhere and I'm having trouble finding places to live, that's a problem. Yeah, it, that, that's actually, I think, my, personally, my biggest beef with the game is that randomness of having to find those planets and getting to them before other people do. Like, it, just getting into those systems. Like, if you get, if you yeah. get bad luck, like, the, you could explore 30 systems and find two planets and one of them will already be occupied and yep. like you have to exert so much effort to get to those planets that i don't know it it slows the beginning down it makes the beginning of the game less enjoyable for me which is frustrating because normally i love the beginning of those kinds of games yeah um turn i would say uh i mean you can keep playing that game if you want I'm, but i would say yeah, start, turn up the number yeah of my next start i will be cranking up the habitable planetism 
Yeah, because the gen the whatever the start number is, uh, like at least double it. Um, yeah, because the fact that I mean I already said it, but the fact that I had robots that could live anywhere, and I was having trouble finding places to live—that's a problem. That's so wrong. And I don't, I don't know. I don't really understand that design decision. There's some. There's got to be like more to that going on than just my experience. Yeah. I don't get it, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean that's maybe why we've just been spoiled by I'm, other games. And, yeah, you know, maybe space really is an empty void. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like where nothing, nothing can lives. ever be. But I mean, yeah, I mean that's why those options exist, right? Make that game. There are enough yeah. variables there. You can make the game be the way you want it. Oh, it can be yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, hey, um, we are almost at the two-hour mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really want to talk about any of the other stuff I was playing. So I'm thinking maybe we'll start to shut this baby down. Alrighty. So, so, um, I mean, unless you want to talk a little bit more about Stellaris, you can. Uh, you just talked a lot about Stellaris. I think we'll, we'll let that sit for now. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. It'll it'll come up again. Maybe. Yeah, Yeah, it will. Cause wow. Um, so then, uh, thank you, Stu, for, for hanging out with me today and for talking like this. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed yourselves. Uh, Stu, did you have anything you wanted to plug before we go? I guess not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to plug, um, I'm going to plug extra credits. Uh, they've got a great channel. Uh, I noticed the narrator changed. Uh, that was interesting. Oh. But anyways, they've got a great they've got a great channel, uh, YouTube. They've also got a website. Uh, I'll make sure that the, there's a link to one or both <laughs> in the show notes. Um, also, thank you, Jam. Uh, I'll make sure to link uh, Gaming History 101. Lots of really good resources there. Uh, both Jam and uh, Fred are doing articles right now, so uh, lots to read there. Uh, and also, a really, really respectable vault of uh podcasts if you if that's something you're interested in which i am um also thank you to dimitri for our music uh thank you to joe for our art um and uh thank you to the world yeah uh, speaking music i will plug i've been listening lately to uh a youtube channel called 8-bit music theory uh i'll give the the channel link uh just it's a dude who has a pretty thorough understanding of classical and traditional uh, music theory and he breaks down a Mm -hmm. lot of class like older like 8-bit as indicated a lot of like the 8-bit soundtracks that we grew up with playing on like nes snes and sega and stuff Uh, and it's 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 fascinating stuff just because we talked about um morrowind and ff6's stellar soundtracks um I, yeah, it makes sense to me to plug like music, music theory dude who does really cool shit. Yeah, uh, if you're interested in music or the older soundtracks or uh, he touches on some, it's not just eight bit stuff. He does do some modern things too. Uh, it's really, really, really cool to see like the the breakdown of some of the themes and how they make sense and it kind of helps you appreciate some of it a little bit more too. Okay, cool. Um, very cool. Well, then, sorry, who was that again? Uh, 8-Bit Music Theory. We'll throw a link into the 
thing for for that yeah, channel. Yeah, sh- shoot something yep. over to me. I'll make sure it gets in the uh, show notes. Um, okay, so then I think that's it. So if uh, you, the listener, want to know more about Learn From Gaming Podcast, we've got social media stuff. So we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, uh, we've got our website at www.learnfromgaming.com. Dot com. Sometimes I screw that up. I always want to say learn from gaming podcast, but that's but the, the domain email. is really just learnfromgaming.com. Um, and once uh, once we figure out, well, well, no, we're already on iTunes. What am I talking about? Oh, I gotta gotta clean up this script. <laughs> we're already on iTunes. We're on Google Play. Um, yeah, we're on a bunch yeah, of stuff. We're, so we're on just, the internet uh, now too. Most most of the places you want to listen to us, we're there. Um, so yeah, thanks again for joining us, and tune back in soon. Yeah.